Judging by the pollution content of the atmosphere, I believe we have arrived at the latter half of the 20th century. Conan, what is left in life? To crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentation of your women. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Back off, man. I'm a scientist. What are you looking at, butthead? You see someone. I feel the need. The need for speed. And what is up, podcast people and soundtrack geniuses around the world? You are listening to episode 37 of The Soundcast, the official podcast of TrackSounds.com. I'm your host, Christopher Coleman. And on the line today, we have all the way from Peru, Helen San, the Honorable Helen San. <laughs> How are you, Helen? I'm fine, thank you. Good, good. And, and you are Helen San now, the Japanese That's, pronunciation. Uh, well, yeah, right. Helen San, <laughs> right. Helen San. Um, and Marius, all the way up north in Canada. How are you, Marius? Uh, not honorable, apparently. <laughs> well, <laughs> if you, if San is in your name, then I can call you the honorable. <laughs> oh, fair enough, fair enough. No, I'm good, I'm good. In the snow now, full-on snow time? No, we have no snow. It rained today. I thought last time, last episode, it was snowing. It's all gone? Oh, that didn't stick. No, that was just a little sprinkling to make us upset. Then it went away, and now rain and just cold, you know, miserable kind of dry cold winter. rain. Oh, no, that's not fun. Okay, and um, also Tom Hoover in New Jersey. Tom, how are you doing? Hey, uh, doing well. It's an honor to be on here as always. Everything's good up there in New Jersey, Tom? All as well as can be expected. Thank you. Okay, very good. There's all... Oh, you know, <laughs> He always has a little something extra on the end of your answer, which makes me more curious to dive into <laughs> what you mean by that. But but I won't right now, um, because also we have a special guest that most of our listeners uh, are probably familiar with. And that is author and musicologist Doug Adams, who, uh, you know, probably associated most closely with the Lord of the Rings uh, music and the book that he's written, the music of the Lord of the Rings. Uh, Doug, welcome back to the Soundcast. Thanks, guys. Good to be here. Great to have you on. Let's get into our What Have You Been Listening To segment. And um, Doug, if you don't mind, we'll start with you. What have you been listening to recently that you'd like to talk about? <laughs> well, I've spent a lot of time with Hugo. I've actually been going back to, uh, because of that, to some old um, photo play music, music from silent films, which has really been quite a digression for me because I'm usually trying to listen to whatever's out right now. Um so this has been, you know, kind of way off the beaten path, but I've been um, looking up these manuals that would be the manuals that organ players would have used for silent films back in the day. Hmm. And, it, you know, it's all arranged by mood. Here's a, here's a piece for the happy scene. Here's a piece for chase, chase scene. Here's something for, for, you know, bungling burglars or things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been going back to these old volumes and sort of researching that and, and trying to get a handle on... Uh, on what some of the silent film music was like. It's, it's, now, it's been, you know, eye-opening because that stuff, nobody knows it anymore, you know. It's all kind of gone to the ages. But sure. sure. Now, what, now, was this in conjunction with your work for Hugo, or is this just for fun? Uh, it began as part of the work for Hugo. You know, we wanted to do the third part of the, the Clockwork uh, series was something on the, the history of film music. Um, but I just kind of kept running with it because I felt like I was so far down the rabbit hole, I wanted to see what was down here. Uh, oh, nice. so I kept doing it for fun. It's cool. Nice, nice. 
So you've been immersed in organ music. Very interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Quick different. question on that. Have you seen The Artist? Yes, yes. And um, uh, I've been listening to that quite a bit, too. That's a good score. It's, it's very fine. Um, yeah. You know, it's kind of out of left field. Nobody's heard of this composer before. So it was uh, it's nice to see somebody with some, some chops in there. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah, agreed, 100%. It was one of the ones I was going to bring up for what I've been listening to. Oh, good. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's an amazing score. I think the movie is amazing as well. And, and I, look forward to, I look forward to seeing that do well this year. Um, now, someone's already given it Best Picture. I think it was the New York Film Critics Association, if I'm not mistaken. I think, I think they've given that Best Picture. Um, I think a couple of them have now. I think Boston may have recently as well. I think it's uh, picking up some steam. I think it's going to get the Oscars. That's, that's my guess, but we'll see. I'm hoping because the alternative is not so great. It's <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I can think of that really has a real chance against something else. Um, uh, anything else you've been listening to, uh, Doug? Well, I've gone to the other side of you know Howard Shore's other release this fall, which is Dangerous Method. Um, earlier in the year, I did a, a concert that was based on Wagner music, uh, so I've gotten a kick out of, of hearing his Wagner variations and all that. Um, right. And like everybody else, you know, I've been having a Tintin and, uh, and Warhorse and concert rotation. I'm sure that's kind of <laughs> everyone's happy to see John Williams back in the game. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, which are you? partial to in terms of Tintin versus Warhorse. I've been having this discussion with a few people. You know, I, I vacillate. I'm not I'm not sure that I've picked a clear favorite yet. I think it, it's dependent on, on mood right now. I think technically they're both executed equally as, as well. You know, they're, yeah. they're just fine composition. The, the John Williams just doesn't write a sour note, you know. The guy knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, I think he might. I think he might. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's been around. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, Marius, what have you been listening to? Uh, two things uh, mainly. Uh, the first one has been very, very pleasant, and the second one has been very uh, unpleasant. Um, Skyrim is the first. Um, uh, the Elder Scrolls V. That's yeah. Jeremy's soul. Um, and I've been playing the game as well, and I actually held off um, until I had had time to play the game yep. uh, before listening to the music. Didn't want to ruin it. And uh, it's it's good. I mean, it some of it is a little bit uh, dreamy and slow and not all that exciting outside of the game but taken together with the gameplay and some of the tracks even on their own and it's just it's excellent it's very very good game music so okay. that's been enjoyable and that you got the the signed one yeah yeah i ordered early yeah good deal good deal so that's the good one that's a good one and uh, the not so good one has been uh, the next oscar winner <laughs> <laughs> How dare you say that? <laughs> or, or the, or at least a, a contender, um, girl with yeah. the dragon tattoo. That's been that's been interesting. Uh, especially that's not since the good I, one. That's no, good one. I thought that'd be okay. Sorry, go ahead. Especially <laughs> since I approached it. No, I was. I tried to be very open minded about it, and it's. Um, I think my biggest issue with it is just that it's extremely dull to listen to. <laughs> um, and I don't even. It's not like the production is 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 interesting, and they've done some cool things but it's not even it's not even interesting from a technical perspective really it's just mm. it's kind of just dull yeah now did you like social network or or is this you didn't like that one either between the two of them i think i like the social network more but this is just uh, 
I mean, none of the neither of them moved me. That's that much is clear. Neither sure. of them, you know, is memorable enough or or uh, did anything to make me feel anything really. But this one is disappointing, even within that that little mentality. It's just it's so dull. I I'm struggling yeah. to find good things to say about it and to think about it. And I'm right now I'm at the point where I'm just listening to it more times to try and see if i'm missing some hidden layers or something like that mm-hmm. not a- expecting anyone that. anyone else listening to girl with the dragon tattoo i, I have no, i'm, been, I'm staying away from it uh, i've learned uh learned my lesson um just uh <laughs> put it in a bubble forget about it that, that's my approach okay <laughs> doug did you say you had listened to it I have, yeah, and I sort of have had the same reaction where I'm, I'm no pun intended, not warming to it. Uh, and, and I didn't hate Social Network. Uh, you know, it had its own little thing. It, it's sort of hard to compare it to typical narrative film music. You know, it's just establishing a vibe and writing that yeah. for, for a couple of hours. Yeah. Um, and I guess Dragon Tattoo is doing the same thing, but man, that vibe they're establishing is pretty stagnant, you know? <laughs> well, you know what? My. I mean, I agree with what you guys are saying. My my f- guess is, for myself, I think this music is going to work better in context than to me than Social Network did. I I, I found there to be somewhat of a disconnect in Social Network. Um, from what I've seen of the film, this this music seems like it will fit that very drab, dark, dreary, uh, just you know, negative vibe that that at least I get. From, from what I've seen. Um, and and so, you know, I may come out saying, yeah, that 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 quote unquote music worked in that film um, very well. Uh, you know, I, that's my anticipation. Um, now, as a standalone listen, you know, I'm with you. I'm like, what? Why am I listening to this? You know, I, I there's there's no reason for me to listen to that outside and like of the, a outside seven and a half disc album or whatever it is they're putting out too. It's like, yeah, yeah it's, that's what I was going to say. It's you know, at least admit that it's very, shall we say, static, and don't release so much of it. I mean, I I wonder if people are actually listening to the score. You know, I've been seeing all these comments on on Twitter, especially where people are loving it, and and mm-hmm. I, I, they're all really enjoying themselves. And I'm I'm thinking, okay, well, what are you listening to? Like, pick, give me some, give me some highlight tracks here. Let me, let me try and understand where you're coming from. And I'm not, I I'm not getting it. Yeah, I'm gonna start yeah. playing it for Christmas parties and see what happens. <laughs> I tried uh, to listen to it. They, I think he put out a 35 minute free sample one day yeah. and yep. and I listened to two minutes and turned it off <laughs> so I'm like I'm with Tom here you know bubble yeah. well <laughs> you know I've, I want to give it a, a fair shake um, and, and I've listened to it s- several times I mean it's just been on and you know you can't tell when it's gone from one track to the next it's just it's just there it's just total ambient you know uh, quote unquote music um, but yeah we'll see We'll see. And, you know, I do give I mean, I think what people are reacting to is, hey, it's Trent Reznor. Therefore, it is awesome. You know, um, uh, and Trent Reznor's done an awesome job of marketing it. I mean, and, you know, he's obviously spent a lot of money. I don't know if he owns all the rights to it, but that's his label that I think's put it out. So, you know, in terms of the marketing side and releasing some of the music free and all of that and putting it on 18,000 LPs and 
10 discs and you know whatever else all that i think is amazing and awesome awesome and i'm glad he's done it um just for the sheer fact that this is a score that someone is putting so much money and effort into um not unlike you know what what you guys have done with lord of the rings doug but um i mean but there i'm sure there's not going to be a book <laughs> book the music of the girl with the dragon tattoo uh, you know that's, broken that's down. the problem like lord of the rings you've got the content to justify that kind of True. thing here it's like overcompensating it's like okay we've got a really really boring score so we better release it in a whole bunch of different formats with nice packaging and lots of you know maybe kind of to do that all before you know it's hit you know at least with lord of the rings it's like oh everybody likes this we can we can do something with it this is like it seems a little pre-packaged but i don't i mean you know Right. Yeah, he's he's a he's got sharp commercial instincts as a producer. Oh, no doubt. You know, maybe I'm sure he knows more than I do about what he thinks will sell. So, I mean, just the I mean, if you go by the buzz, I mean, you if you know you're going to sell that stuff, then by all means, you know, produce it and put it out there. And and I think it's I think it's going to sell. I think it's going to sell like crazy. Um, I think he's going to make a ton of money on it. You know, so regardless of you know what the product is inside <laughs> for us <laughs> um i think it's gonna i think he probably already has made um a ton of money and you know people have gone nuts from the very first teaser trailer that was released ever so long ago and i knew oh boy here we go and <laughs> and here we are so i mean i like the immigrant song thing that they did for the trailers you know in, in terms of that was cool but that was like the most yeah. unique thing on the whole yeah Right, like yeah, it's it's not certainly uh, indicative of of what the score is. It's very true. It's very true. Okay, Marius, anything else? No, that's all. That's it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tom, Tom, what about you? What have you been listening to? Okay, well, just uh, real, real briefly, a couple of uh, really nice scores um, of late. Uh, one is by Abel Korzanowski. Mm. Uh, he of uh, a single man, and then. Uh, Later, Copernicus, a star. Uh, this film, W.E., was done by Madonna, so the film itself is, granted, it's going to be awful. And uh, but, the, but the score is just vintage uh, Abel. Um, he's a promising young composer, and, and, he, and he continually uh, delivers something magnificent each time out of the gate. And, and it's, uh, it's no different uh, for, for this outing, so I'm definitely on board with that one. And, and the other is uh, Hans Zimmer and company, Game of Shadows, just a pure delight, a lot of creativity. Mm-hmm. I think he and his team uh, attacked this one, uh, and I think uh, it kind of wiped out the taste out of my mouth from that uh, Pirates debacle um, from earlier this year. Okay. So those are my two uh, two, two top listening uh, engagements of late. Nice, good picks. And Game of Shadows, not Game of, yeah, Game of Shadows I haven't heard in totality yet, so I take your word for it. Um, uh, did anyone see the piece that was done on Zimmer? Uh, I tweeted it out, and um, it's like a two-part video piece of him going to some obscure little town in, I forget what country, Yugoslav, uh, not Yugoslav. Uh, Romania, Yugoslavia. maybe? Ro- I don't, it's one of those. I can't remember now. Did anyone see that? No? You should check it out if you can. I'll try to send you guys the link because, I mean, he just went and recorded, you know, these little folksy folksy 
um, instrumentalists in their own little town. And I mean, it was it was really I mean, watching it, I was amazed by what, what lengths they went to to get the sound that they got for this one. So I'm really anxious to hear that score. Has anyone else listened to it yet? Yep, that's yet, what no. I've been listening to all day uh, long. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, yes, I just yeah. got it this morning. I've played it like three times. Okay. So, <laughs> love it, love it, love it. Uh, it's probably else? my favorite score this year. Wow. Yeah. That's saying something. That is saying, to me, that's saying a lot. Huh. Um, Mary, were you going to say you listened to it? No, actually, I haven't. I haven't heard it yet. That was what I was gonna say. Okay, uh, Doug. Nope, not I. Not yet. Okay, so your favorite of the year so far, Ellen. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's. Well, I'm very much looking forward to it. And I'll make sure I send that link to you because you'll 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 get a kick out of that. Yeah, little, I'd like video to. Video piece. Um, now, compared to the first one, those of you who've listened to it, better, worse, same. Better. Yeah, better. Much better. It's alive. This one's alive. Uh, I like the first one though. I mean, I, I know yeah, we were split on that good, last yeah. year. I like the first. Yeah, I, didn't, I, thought, I didn't care for the first one so much. It just felt uh, there's just something about it rubbed me the wrong way. It felt like a studio sound. Although I know they took a different approach, but this one just came to life. It just sparked up, and it was unpredictable. And I think hmm. that's what I like most about it. Hmm. Okay, interesting stuff. Uh, Helen, what else have you been listening to then? Uh, also, uh, Twilight. Breaking Dawn by Carter Burwell. Very good. Very good. Very Not as good. good. Come on, yeah. Ellen. Yeah. Very <laughs> I love Carter Burwell, you know? So, oh. hey. Uh, yes, I do. I love his work, and this is very good. It's quintessential Carter Burwell. How so, does it compare to the first one that he did? Much better. Same? Much, much better. better. Yes. Okay. Yes. Both Game of Shadows to... and, and Twilight were much better than the, the previous efforts. And superior to Shore and the, the Plas work? It's different. You know, it's I different. mean, I, I like De Plas and I like Shore a lot, but I love Carter Burwell because he has a lot of feeling. You know, he's not like musically very, you know, diverse, but mm-hmm. um, but he has uh, I hear a lot of feeling in his music. So I, I like the feeling he was inspired in this one. You're much more perceptive than I am. <laughs> <laughs> much more sensitive, clearly. Um, very good. Uh, anything else? That's it. That's it. OK, well, you guys have said a lot of the ones that that I was going to mention. I will just throw out there. um Arthur Christmas by Harry Gregson Williams. Um, I've been enjoying that quite a bit because it's not the Harry Gregson Williams we've heard in the last three, four years. Um, he's really kind of out there in the whole animation world, which, you know, where he was quite comfortable in years past. Um, and so I would highly recommend that uh, kind of a surprise. Um, Daniel Pemberton has a score out or coming out called The Awakening. And I think Movie Score Media is releasing that one. Um, and Daniel Pemberton, I think he's most known for his Little Big Planet uh, work. Um, but it's it's quite a beautiful score. It 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 evokes some James Newton Howardy kind of violiny stuff at the onset. But of course, it it gets much darker because it is a horror film. But but um, he kind of explores the beautiful side of scary, which I like. Um, and I like when composers do that, and they don't just go for the straight you know, dissonant kind of a thing um, for the cheap thrill. Um, 
and Moneyball. I kind of dug that out after I finally got to see the film, which I love, which I didn't think I was going to like at all, but I ended up loving it. Uh, and Mark Isham's score, you know, really had a lot more um, personality to it once I'd seen the film. The Isn't it Mark Isham? I was almost certain it was Mark Isham. Michael Dana, I think. Is it Michael Dana? Yeah, for Moneyball. Yeah. Was it? Okay, I thought that was Mark Isham. Why did I think that? Anyway, well, his score, <laughs> his score, uh, really gets a lot better after you after you see the film, and then even that little song, that little cover. Uh, by the little girl, Karis Dorsey, um, doing the cover of the show. Uh, I just love that song. I've been listening to that song on repeat and repeat and repeat. It's just, if you, has anyone seen the film? No one. No one's no, seen Moneyball. I've heard the score, but I haven't seen it. I recommend, I recommend seeing it. Looked it up, it is Michael Dana. It is Michael Dana, okay, yeah. my bad. Um, well, his, his uh, Brad Pitt's daughter uh, sings this song to just... She's in a they're in a music uh, instrument shop, and he wants her to play the guitar for him. And so she starts playing. She starts singing with this amazing voice, and you're like, oh, you know, I was kind of expecting, oh man, she's going to be horrible. But she starts playing, and she starts singing this this uh, this song called the show, and um, and so I just fell in love with it. And she has a really cute little voice, and so um, yeah, it's it's a very spacious kind of score, very you know contemporary styled. Um, you know, not a whole lot of melody and that sort of thing to it, but but it has its moments and it works pretty well. So those are the biggies that I'd like to mention. And uh, there's been so much. It's, this is the best time of year, in my opinion, in terms of movies and movie music. Um, so a lot to talk about, but those are the big ones that I wanted to bring up and recommend. Okay. Well, I don't think I've even mentioned what our main topic was going to be for tonight. Um, so I better do that now, even though we're not getting to it right at this moment. But that's going to be the best of the 80s. And our last episode, 36, we did the best of the 70s. And that was um, quite a popular show. We've gotten a lot of good feedback on that one. And we had a really good time talking about the 70s. And there's so much good film music from that era, of course. Uh, But I think we're going to find as we dive into the 80s that this is a much more difficult proposition to to whittle a list down to a handful of, of favorites from that decade. It was such a, it was just an amazing decade. Um, so we're going to be talking about our favorites from the 80s in just a few minutes. But before we go there, we wanted to do a little bit of sidetracking, um, some things that have been happening in the film music world and related. Uh, and the first one is the LA Film Critics, their wonderful association named. A very controversial title as best score for 2011, and that title is none other than Hannah. Coincidentally, Helen has just watched Hannah over the last week, and so as the world knows my opinion of this particular score very well, I just wanted to give the floor to you, Helen, to talk about the film and, and, and the score, and we can react also to the LA Film Critics awarding this as best score of the year. Helen? Well, um, my family sat down to watch Hannah, I think, uh, last week. And 
And I said, you know, uh, Christopher Coleman doesn't like this score. So we all sat, you know, attentively to, <laughs> were waiting eagerly for the music to appear, which doesn't, of course, for the first half hour. And, and then when it came, it was like, Chris is right. You know? <laughs> it's atrocious. It's atrocious. That's the first so, time for everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So everybody was in unanimous agreement with you, Chris. That was um, just... We were very shocked that they would put a score like that to, you know, a pretty... We liked the movie. We thought it was good. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we yeah. were disappointed that they, they didn't put something more compelling. So what was it that you guys didn't like about it? It didn't fit the movie. It, you know, it wasn't nice to listen to. <laughs> so, okay. yeah, it was... It just didn't fit at all. We just didn't understand why they would do something like that (laughs) well hey it won best score yeah yeah, that was that was very surprising for sure shocking (laughs) uh anyone else have any other reaction to the the la film critics um i I believe runner-up was drive by cliff martinez from for from the la film critics anyone have any reaction to either of those yeah Uh, I just I actually um, I wanted to bring up the runner up thing. Um, the only thing that surprised me about the decision was that drive uh, that of the two of those drive didn't win. And uh, the reason I say that is because of in terms of general hype that I've heard surrounding those two scores, I've heard a lot more people excited about the drive score. Really? Yes, I, I maybe it's just my Twitter feed, but it's been pretty consistent and even now every day i'm seeing people going oh you know the drive soundtrack oh you got to pick that up blah 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 Hmm. and so my assumption was that that would be the one um that was more popular and therefore more likely to be picked because i'm i'm past imagining now that musical merit has anything to do with the decision making process um for these things but what do you think their decision uh, what is you know what do you think I mean, they're Californians now. I'm a Californian, so I can say this. But, um, you know, my tweet was when I said that. I just called them crazy Californians. Um, I don't know. I can't. Enough said. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe so. Maybe so. Um, Yeah, I wasn't supposed to go on a rant. Okay. It it was just very, I was very surprised to see that, um, that that it won best score from from them. I'll be surprised if it wins best score from from any other association or organization, but you never know. Um, yeah. Uh, but in terms of hype and response, I've seen, and maybe because I'm somewhat of a lightning rod for the Hannah score, I've seen so much more talk and discussion and people who just love the Hannah score. Yeah, you may have um, set yourself up for that. Probably. Uh, in Drive, it seemed like it kind of came and went. You know, when it, when the movie came out, you know, there was a lot of buzz about the music and whatnot, and then it kind of evaporated. I, I don't hear much about it anymore. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. Well, any any more on that? Uh, Hannah, Drive, L.A. Film Critics? If not, then a couple weeks ago, we, we had talked about um, both Danny Elfman and T-Bone Burnett being put on the Hunger Games to provide the music there. And no sooner than we talk about that, that a few days later, Danny Elfman's gone. And James Newton Howard is put on to the Hunger Games. What do you guys think about that? You liking James Horner being in there? Uh, James Horner, James Newton Howard being there, or would you prefer Danny Elfman? What do you guys think? 
Well, let's just hope we don't get uh, a Green Lantern type of effort uh, from, <laughs> from this legendary composer. Uh, I, for one, thought it would be interesting to see where Elfman could have gone with the material. Uh, I have a feeling that it might be a little more static uh, with James unless he opens up uh, his th- thematic voice again hmm. uh, and heralds out you know, some of those big themes, which is what I love about his pr- previous work. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, any other thoughts? I guess I... Um, oh, oh, sorry. sorry go, go ahead. ahead. I'm no, just going to say, I thought it was... <laughs> oh, we both... Go, go ahead, Doug. Gold Draw <laughs> <laughs> I thought Go it was ahead, some of the interest, uh, interesting to see some of the projects that Elfman uh, presumably passed up Hunger Games in order to work on. Um, most notably, Men in Black 3 has been a, a, a troubled production, if you're believing all the reports. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, certainly he has some history with that and, and all that sort of thing. I'm sure it's bringing it full circle for him in some way, but... It, it still sort of surprised me to see him return to some of you know, a franchise like Men in Black rather than beginning a new franchise. I, I wonder what that means for how the film is coming out, but it may just be that he's honoring prior commitments too, so I don't want to make too many assumptions. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, I, I mean, he started MIB, you know, I guess it makes sense to see, for him to see it through, um, but... I don't know if there's going to be more MIB after this one. Um, and I would be surprised if there isn't more Hunger Games coming after this one. Although I'm not all that enthused by what I saw in that trailer either. Uh, Marys, what were you going to say? I was just going to say that uh, I, I care so little about the franchise. Um, I'm, I'm just not looking forward to it. So it's not. Uh, it wasn't a big shock to me. And I think... Uh, I mean, I'm a huge, huge fan of James Newton Howard, so I'm I'm sort of following along with what Tom was saying. If he brings out his um, his talent and and doesn't just phone it in, I think we'll end up with a, a very compelling score. But it does it does certainly make me wonder, you know, why would why would Danny walk away from that? That's that's suspicious. Yeah, yeah it is a little bit. I don't know how much James Newton Howard actually did on the Green Lantern. I mean, I know he had other composers working with him. Because um, if you, I mean, I haven't listened to it for I don't know how many months now, but it's like it. None of it sounds like him, you know. Um, so you know, I don't know if that. I mean, it hasn't been that great of a year for him. Water for Elephants wasn't that great either, um, and so it wasn't a real standout year for him. But what I what I know of the Hunger Games story and what I've seen that trailer, you know, that looks like a film that that is going to be moody and not have a whole lot of of what James Newton Howard does best. Uh, so I'm I'm a, I'm concerned that it's not going to be great. Not that because James Newton Howard's not not great, uh, but because the film itself isn't going to be the the kind of film that allows him to do you know uh, his his a a level stuff. Have any of you read uh, the books? I've read the uh, about a third of the first book. In fact, exactly what the trailer shows, I've seen all of that, <laughs> which was kind of interesting. It happened to be all the stuff that they put in the trailer was the, the stuff that I had read. Um, so I, I yeah, just wonder how much they're going after the kid market with these films because I mean it, it's uh, I don't know many t- yeah. too many adults that are. Are crazy about the books, but I know a lot of kids that just adore them. 
Yeah, um, that's the truth. But you have to wonder if they're going for that kid market, if it's just going to be, you know, are, are they, it's a big studio thing right now to sort of enforce that momentum over melody scoring for, for pictures geared toward young audiences. Yeah. So I wonder point. if there's some of that energy going on as well. Probably. Probably, and I'm sure there'll be all kinds of pop songs in there and whatnot. I mean, you've got a big vacancy now. Twilight's over, Harry Potter's over. So, what are the what is the next big kids franchise going to be? You know, yeah. Um, so I could see that filling that void. Um, any other thoughts on James Newton Howard replacing Danny Elfman? If not, uh, something that you tweeted today, uh, Doug, and that was that. Mark Streitenfeld is going to be composing the score for Ridley Scott's upcoming Prometheus. How does that make you all feel? Uh, not, not warm and fuzzy, but I'm not devastated either. I think Streitenfeld uh, gets a little bit of a bad rap because I liked American Gangster and I liked Robin Hood. Yeah, I didn't like Gangster, but I love Robin Hood. I, I'm excited about it. I think he's a good, I think he's a good fit. I, I think he could do something interesting. I think he might surprise. I think he's going to surprise some folks with this one. I hope he surprises some folks. I'm I'm among <laughs> the, the folks that that must be surprised in order to enjoy this uh, news. I mean, I I thought my my biggest disappointment with Robin Hood was that I thought there was so much good material in there that was so weakly developed, and so it, like he could have done so much more with it. Um, so I'm I'm. I'm not necessarily optimistic, especially since I'm such a big fan of the actual Alien series and the the music that has been contributed to it by various very, very uh, talented composers. So, you know, it'll be tough for him to follow up, and I haven't heard anything from him that would make me feel confident that he can follow up Mm. to that same caliber. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. And the interesting position of Prometheus, for those of you listening that don't know, I mean, it's essentially set up as a prequel to the whole Alien saga. Um, so, you know, that what that means musically is is interesting. I mean, I don't know how the aliens play a role in the film or don't play a role. I just know that it's I think it's set in that that universe. So I imagine there's some connection. But, uh, yes, yeah, I think it's a. I think it could be a very, it will be a very challenging thing for him to 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 have to work within that idea in that world. Um, what? Why did you tweet that out, Doug? Well, it's an you know I'm I'm a fan of the franchise. Uh, I think it's uh, an interesting project. Although you also have to admit that alien films have been really hard on their composers you know <laughs> almost every score to an alien picture has been wildly compromised in some way at least thinking of the classic original aliens i don't want to get into the alien versus frankenstein or whatever they're doing now um <laughs> i'd like to see that yeah yeah I know. <laughs> uh and, but i was kind of i was kind of hoping that ridley scott would you know finally hearken back to the 1970s and just cut the rest of freud into the film you know, he mm. used a couple of pieces from Goldsmith's Freud back in the original Alien uh, uh, in the in the seventies. Oh. So maybe he would just finally go back and get the rest of it in there. But uh, and it, it seemed like it took them a long time to announce a composer. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's not a huge musical contribution. I don't know. Uh, but he certainly worked with with uh, Streitenfeld for the 
last boy, how many projects he's done with him in a row now? Which is weird because he doesn't really do he doesn't score anybody else's films almost. He's just sort of you know in Ridley Scott's pocket and that's his gig. Yeah, it's true. He he seems to be his exclusive guy. I mean, whether it's his music supervisor or composer, he's he's mm. he's been on everything that he's done. I think um, he has good technical skill. I've, I'm yet to hear him, in my opinion, apply that to anything that I find musically very interesting. Yeah. I, I think he's a very, you know, clear spoken in terms of his compositional skill. I just don't know that I've been compelled by anything he's put out yet yeah and as and as you guys are talking it, it, you know my, the vibe that i'm starting to to feel for some reason is that it's going to be a very understated score a very you know patty synthy kind of thing i mean would seem to make sense in, in a lot of ways if they did go that route um so we'll we shall see um any other thoughts on Prometheus and Mark Streitenfeld? Who would you guys have, those who aren't happy to see him get it, who would you rather have seen get the project? Mm, good question. That is a very good question. I don't know. I have to ponder that. Well, there were some Joel, rumors, actually. The aforementioned, uh, I'm sorry, the aforementioned Abel Korzanowski, I think he was somehow in the running for that. Um, really? That's what a couple of uh, comments that leaked out uh, apparently indicated. Um, that sounds like wishful thinking. <laughs> well, I think there was actually some dialogue with the composer about it uh, behind the scenes. Really? Um, hmm. But never, nevertheless, it would it'd be cool to see one of the legends come back, maybe like a James Horner or Goldenthal get a chance to redeem himself. Goldenthal? Uh, I was going to say Goldenthal. He was, he was the only one that comes to mind that I think um, could really do something crazy and, and fitting. Yeah. And has yeah, that on his schedule. <laughs> yeah, that is a good point. Yeah, that's good. Good calls on that. Um, Korzenowski, he's going to get his big, big thing sometime in the near future. He has to. He's too talented not to. But that would have been very interesting um, to have him on that. Good call. Um, well, I think our last sidetrack is going to be that on December 19th, uh, it's going to be the 10th anniversary of the release of the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring. And I just wanted to bring that up because I cannot believe it has been 10 years since that movie was released. And it is coincidental that we do have you, uh, Doug, on for this particular podcast when this anniversary hits. Um, and I just wanted to put out there that, you know, it was, of course, Fellowship of the Ring that really opened opened me up to Howard Shore and and his abilities and um you know I I don't I guess around by this time the the premieres had already happened wherever the first premieres happened um but it was it was for a long time kind of a scary situation where people didn't know what in terms of the score how is this how how is this how good is this going to be or how bad is it going to be um so it, it's a it's a momentous uh, anniversary um, and so what are your thoughts, Doug, you know, as you hit, I mean, you've been involved, I don't know how many of those 10 years, but a lot of them in this project. Uh, I hit my 10, 10 year anniversary of, of my involvement this past May. Um, okay. so mostly I'm just feeling really old. <laughs> uh, 
you know, it, it's a hard thing to put into words. It, it literally is a score that changed my life because it mm. became something that, that I was and continue to be involved in. Uh, and it's, uh, it, it, it might actually be a bit depressing if, if it weren't for the fact that at the same time we're gearing up to start everything all over. You're right. So that well, I was gonna feel like you know, oh, that was great, and we're doing it again. So we have something to, you know. <laughs> well, that was the, the 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 negative side of this anniversary in that we should be listening to the Hobbit right now, <laughs> and and I'm a little upset about that that we're not listening to because that would completely change the landscape of our discussion, uh, especially when it comes to you know the best of the year and all of that. Um, you know, if Howard Shore was in there and the Hobbit was out. Um, there would be some very stiff competition for <clears throat> other films' scores uh, come Oscar time. Um, so I'm a little disappointed. It just kind of reminded me of that because I know that was their goal at one time. Obviously, there's all the problems that they hit along the way. But um, that yeah, would have been when wonderful. When Guillermo was involved, this was originally – in fact, I believe like today would have been the release date. I believe oh. One year from today will be The Hobbit's release. Uh, oh, okay. 12. And I think it was supposed to have been today when, when Guillermo was directing. Okay, so 12, 12, 12, huh? Uh, 12, 14, 12, yeah. Oh, what's today? Today's the 14th? 14th, yeah. So if the world ends, you know, if the Mayan... Like, <laughs> oh, that's right. That all we got to get past that first. <laughs> yeah, we're... So. Right. Well, any other thoughts? What do you guys remember when you saw the film or first heard the score 10 years ago? Yeah, well, 10 years goes by a lot faster than it used to, I'll, I'll say that. Um, <laughs> but with the films and the, and the scores overall, I think the best way to enjoy them is to, just to invest yourself. Give yourself up to three hours of the movie, however long the score releases are, um, because they're, they're not quickly accessible. Um, they're not 45-minute spins like a lot of other scores. So on that level, I appreciate the, the epic scale of it and the and the attention to detail, um, mm -hmm. I do hope that the Hobbit is not as kind of timeless as that. Um, but overall, um, it was quite a stunning trilogy. I guess um, never seen it, something like that before. What What do you mean? You hope the Hobbit is not as timeless as that? What does that mean? Yeah, I, I just just parts of the the trilogy just. I mean the the endings from Return of the King, the, the false endings. I know the story behind that and everything. It just it felt like too much of a weight for me to to. I couldn't make that investment. The investment that I'm you know suggesting that people make, I couldn't make it, and I still have not been able to return to those movies on DVD and their you know extended releases because of because of the kind of the imposing time that that it would require. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah. so. <laughs> I see. Just saying, by timeless. Uh, okay. Uh, funny for me, since the extendeds came out, I have never, I have not gone back to the. Well, I went, I went back to the original versions one time since they, since they've come out. Every time I watch them, I watch them in their extended uh, state. Um, any other thoughts about Fellowship of the Ring? I was actually going to say what you just said, Chris, that I can't go back to the originals now. I, I recently bought the, um, the, you know how they released on Blu-ray the extended, yeah. you know, the whole collection set. Yep. Um, so I picked that up and, and went through again, I don't know how many times it's been now, but, you know, watched them again and 
yeah, I can't. I don't know. The extended versions just feel more um, patient, more complete. Mm-hmm. And uh, I will say that Blu-ray does good things for that trilogy, hmm. mm-hmm. especially on the audio front. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, good. Very good point. Um, Helen, where were you 10 years ago? Um, were you in the States? Yes, yes, I was in the oh, States, and and I think I just had had a kid and all that. I love. Um, I, I hesitate to say anything because I I do love Howard Shore's score. I, I even went Careful. to a concert, um, big expensive concert uh, of uh, Lord of Fly. Uh, sorry, Fly. Lord of oh the Rings God. music. Sorry about that. Be careful now. <laughs> um. Went uh, it went to concert and everything. It was it was wonderful, um, but I remember when Fellowship of the Ranks came out that I really really wish that Basil Polidorus had gotten that job. <laughs> oh my god! So yeah, because you know we're we're big fans of him, of his, and so we. Uh, was he yeah. in the running? I don't think he was ever no, in the mix. No, though. I don't think so. But you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, you you listen to Conan and and you think of uh, you know, the Lord of the Rings trilogy and and oh, I don't we're know. gonna talk about Conan like later. A, okay, right. We'll get into Conan later. <laughs> and it just uh, it just feels like he would be a natural, you know, and and like I said, I'm not dissing Shore's contribution. Went to his concert and everything, and I I love it. But <laughs> and but, all the while you're like, man, I wish Basil was up there. I wish <laughs> Basil's music. Well, you know, <laughs> it just made makes me a little nostalgic. I I miss Basil. I miss. Him. Yeah. Well, yeah. We all, we yeah we all do. I mean, you know, once it's established, you can't ima- I can't imagine it with anyone else doing it. Of course, leading up to it, yeah, you can speculate like, oh, it'd be cool if this person, that person. But now it's like. They're tied forever in my in in my in my mind. Um, Basil wanted the projects badly. Actually, I, I I knew him a bit. He he and I got together a couple of times, uh, and he did want to be involved, but the, the never registered at the filmmakers end. Oh, I see. Almost telling. Almost <laughs> near miss. <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, that's going to do it for our uh, sidetrack segment. Um, you could call it the extended edition if you'd like. Uh, so we're going to move into our main topic of the night, which is the best of the 80s. This is going to be fun, guys, because it's going to be very, very difficult um, to to whittle it down because the 80s was such an amazing, amazing decade for film music. So we're going to do as we did in the last episode and just kind of share one or two at a time and kind of and kind of discuss. I'm sure we're going to have some overlapping ones. Doug, I'm sure you're going to be pulling out some some scores that we probably never even heard of that are so obscure. And we're going to be like, yeah, tell us about that. I never heard of it. Um, uh, so I think we're going to have a really good discussion here. I'm going to read some tweets. Uh, people that tweeted out to us some of their favorite scores from the 80s as well. In fact, I also have one um, 
audio clip, one voicemail that I received. Uh, I asked to put it out there. If you've got your list of favorites, call in, leave us a voicemail, and tell us what what um, what it is uh, that you remember and love best about the '80s. So let's dive right into it, guys, with our favorite scores from the 1980s. Um, Helen, maybe you can start us off and uh, give us the give us the context from which you're speaking here. Just give us a couple, but give us the context. Top one is Conan the Barbarian, Basil Podoris, 1982. It's uh, it's probably my favorite score of all time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Forever. Now, now how many? Now, you've compiled a list. Now, how how long and extensive is your list? 50. (laughs) I couldn't narrow it down. I couldn't cut anybody off. I could order it, you know. Right. But uh, I, I had 58. I cut it down to 50. (laughs) and i know that must have been painful it was wow (laughs) i had to you know cut down cut out uh vibes and you know warlock out of there so (laughs) (laughs) as we must as we all must at some point cut those off anyone else have conan uh in their top few absolutely definitely yep yeah doug that registered for you yeah yeah i'm a fan of that one yeah. Okay. Uh, give us another one, Helen. Doesn't have to be number two. It can be whatever. Okay. Well, I'll just go with number two. The Mission okay. by Ennio. Okay. 1986. Uh, I I think it's just fabulous from the first note to the ending. Now on that one, I I really only recall that main theme uh, from that score. Um, I know the main theme is is very memorable and is excellent. But the rest of the score I, it doesn't doesn't come to mind. I think he makes good use of that. I think there's a couple themes actually, but but outside of that, nothing really registers for me um, for that score. Anyone else have the mission? I was just going to say. Um, I mean, I haven't listened to that in a while, but I, if I recall correctly, that theme was pretty pervasive. So um, yeah. it it might just be that you're remembering it rather than the whole score because it it is you know in large part the whole score. Mm, they're okay. just variations on it. I don't, I don't, don't really recall if it was one of those situations where it was a strong, prominent few cues and then a whole bunch of filler. I don't somehow. I don't think that's the way it was. Mm, but okay. either way, it's still, still a very unique, very wonderful theme in there. What was the so year on, on that, Helen? Nineteen eighty-six. Eighty-six. Okay. All right. Um, Doug, a couple of yours. Well, we're talking about Morricone. Um, give a good Chicago score. How about the Untouchables? Ah, yes. Um, I, I find that score absolutely fascinating because it's such a wonderful uh, European idea of what Chicago is like, <laughs> which is which is wonderful. I mean, it's exactly what it should be because you should have that slightly heightened mythological concept of Chicago and gangsters and Al Capone and all that. Um, It's also the epitome of a European score in that it feels like a handful of compositions that were placed in various spots throughout the narrative. You know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel um, cue-y, for lack of a better Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just such a, you know, like that main title. It it fits so perfectly. But but what is that? I mean, really, you know, in, in terms of music... 
there's like a million different references and none of them really sort of have anything to do with each other and, and that's why it's so brilliant because it just it's just it's entirely unique creation it, it, it doesn't really harken back to anything but it feels like oh yeah well that's Chicago gangster music yeah I get it yeah 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 very good I mean that's on my list as well and I remember when I first saw that I saw it at a drive-in that tells you how long ago that came out um <laughs> The music was very. I was very aware of the music, um, even watching it for the first time, and just and just loved it. Um, his, the romp, you know. Uh, I, I can't remember the titles of the cues anymore, but um, you know when he's when he's when they're charging on the horses, um, you know, charging that bridge. Um, uh, there's like a this big pullback scene. I think of Elliot Ness walking across the street in Chicago. Chicago. There's this big pullback crane shot and this big majestic theme play and it uh it's yeah I, I agree with you that's definitely on my list you have another one uh how about altered states by john Crilliano? Ooh, so. see i knew well i knew you well you've <laughs> heard of it but <laughs> i can't even recall what that score was like was it very electronic no no electronics at all it's almost all uh very avant-garde orchestral type of writing a couple of uh of very tonal themes thrown in um mm. it, you know it's it's a ken russell picture and ken russell just passed away uh, very recently um but he was always you know a proponent of these crazy musical ideas in his films he did a lot of musical uh you know biographies of composers Mahler and people like that right um but this, uh, you know, the film essentially deals with altered mental states. You know, William Hurt locking himself in an isolation tank and, and reverting back to primitive man and hallucinations and all these sort of things. It's, it's a very, very, very trippy picture. Um, John Crilliano, of course, is primarily known as a concert hall composer. Uh, yeah. and, and if I remember correctly, Altered States is the first time he really worked in film. Um, okay. But it's 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 a wild score, you know, devilishly difficult, um, and just really really out there in terms of some of the uh, the sonics he's working with. A lot of extended string techniques and crazy things like that. Any connection to the red violin? Uh, no, red violin is definitely more uh, romantic and more down the middle. I think you know he did do a red violin concerto, a concert work. That maybe had a few more of these type of techniques, but red violin is, is more straightforward. Um, if it gives you any any idea, when when uh, Prilliano decided to do a concert version of Altered States, uh, you know, for for the stage, I believe it's I think his title for it was Three Hallucinations for Orchestra. <laughs> so it's that's one of, awesome. Yeah, it's one of those scores. If you, if you like Alien Three, which we were talking about earlier, uh, I think you would find a lot a lot to like in in Altered States. Okay, what year did that come out? Oh, 80, mid-80s sometime. Let me look it up. I want to say 84, but I don't think that's right. And, and while you're doing that, maybe you can uh, just kind of elaborate, because when we did the 70s um, last episode, you know, we kind of were able to get, in, at least I was, into how I started to love film music. Was the 80s the decade that film music became something you paid attention to or was it the 70s or cause I'm not exactly sure how old you are but I'm going to say I guess you were a child in the 80s um, I was, was I that... was born in the 70s but I was a little bit too young to uh, sort of right. follow that I, I think actually my and, and I'm looking here Altered States is a 1980 picture so it's right at the okay. um, but 
actually the way I got into film music was um, uh, when Empire Strikes Back had come out, and I was a little kid, you know, I was very small, but I'd ask my dad to go out and get me the LP, the story of the Empire Strikes Back, you know, which is like oh, right. the dialogue and sound effects and everything. Okay. And he had accidentally come home with the, the double LP of William's score. And of course, uh, you know, I didn't know what it was. I don't even know if I could read yet. So I put the thing on and was listening to it. And, you know, nobody ever talked, but I just kept playing the album. And <laughs> Dad eventually realized he had bought the wrong thing and was apologetic. And, oh, I'll take it back and get you the right thing. Don't worry. And I said, no, don't, don't touch this. I'm, I'm keeping this. Uh, oh, nice. So, yeah, I was a little kid there with my turntable listening to Empire Strikes Back. And it uh, snowballed from there. Nice story. Nice story. <laughs> And it happened in the 80s. And it all happened. <laughs> uh, Marius, give us a couple of yours from the 80s. All right, a couple of mine. Um, let's start with the Out of Africa, John Barry. Okay. Um, I believe that was 85. I could be wrong. I think it's 1985. 85. Um, that's right. That was, yeah, that was the first score of his that I'd ever heard, and I heard it... Um, only a few years back and uh yeah and it it's you know i still think that no one really does romantic string writing nowadays it's quite like he does Mm -hmm. so that's something i don't actually remember the film that well i i i had watched it um i actually watched the film before i listened to the score on its own but for some reason it just doesn't it didn't stick with me yeah if sure memory why. serves, that one didn't that film win best best picture that year? I want to say it did. Helen, do you have that handy? Yes, it did. Nineteen eighty-five yeah. won best original score. Oh, won best score and best picture. Uh, don't know about best picture. Sorry, I was looking at the score Oscars. Okay, I thought it won best picture as well. But um, interesting that um, you know with that one. I, I was late to the game on that one um, and so when I did listen to it you know he kind of established that sound uh, and and it kind of carried into so many other uh, projects after that oh, that, that it, when it was I, sounding old by the time you exactly it. It, exactly. Won no, it, it won seven academy awards it won seven academy awards including best picture best director best art direction yeah. you know the whole yep, the whole thing yep um, what were you going to say, Marius? I mean, yeah. I think I, I wasn't obviously around when it uh, when it came out, but I think even then it was a, a fairly vintage sound. I, I'm not I'm not sure it was pushing any boundaries. Yeah, I mean, fit the film like a glove. Uh, it was wonderful, but um, yeah. Any other thoughts on Out of Africa? Anyone else have that on their list? I liked it. Uh, I did have it on my list. I liked its short revival a few years ago when it was accidentally the major version of the main theme for X Men Three, the John Powell score. <laughs> we always had a, a you know a subtle joke around my friends and I that he, clearly he composed that score in one mode and then realized later on that a certain variation just turned into Out of Africa, but it was too late to change the theme, so he said run with it. I never made that connection. <laughs> yeah, give it, give it a play sometime. If he harmonizes a certain way, it turns into Out of Africa. That's hilarious. I will be doing that as soon as we're done here. <laughs> uh, was that two or one? Uh, that was uh, the one. Do you want another one? one? Okay. Yeah. Give me another one. All right. Blue Velvet. Blue, Blue Velvet, Velvet is another one. It's Angelo uh, Angelo Badalamenti, and I don't know what year oh. it's from. 
but it's in wow. there. It's in the eighties. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And the That's... reason the reason I discovered that score because I wouldn't have otherwise. I was asked to write something in a similar style for a short film last year at some point. So I I wasn't familiar with the with Blue Velvet. Had to look it up. Um, and the main theme really caught my attention. Mm-hmm. So went and, and found the score, and it's uh, it's a very nice, very um, it's a compelling drama score. It's it's a lot more sophisticated than than the sorts of things that you hear nowadays. So mm. I I really enjoyed it. Mm. Mm. I, I can't I don't even re- I don't recall that film or anything. I mean I love his I love his work. His work is is beautiful, but I I don't recall that film at all. Um, what year was it? I don't know. I'd have to look it up. Okay. All right. 86, I believe. 86. Okay. Was it, did yeah, you say it was I just looked it up. contending for Oscars or anything like that? 86. No. Wasn't contending. Okay. No. 86 was uh, won by Round Midnight, um, Herbie Hancock. And uh, the... Really? Contenders were Aliens, Hoosiers, The Mission, and Star Trek Four. Wow! Wow! What a list! Yeah. <laughs> and the and one I don't know anything two, about. Yeah, one. Right, it's the one. <laughs> I believe that was one of those ones where it was almost arranged, uh, all arrangements of Thelonious Monk too. I don't think Herbie Hancock really wrote anything for that. I believe I remember him apologizing for winning it at the time. <laughs> and as he as should. He should. <laughs> yeah, that darn Herbie Hancock. <laughs> Wow, that's amazing. Read, read, the, read the nominees again, Helen. Aliens, James Horner, uh-huh. Hoosiers, Jerry Goldsmith, The Mission, Ennio Morricone, and Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, Leonard, The Rosenman. Amazing. What a list. That, that is an amazing list. Yes. I, <laughs> I could go with any, any, any one of those except the one that won. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, Tom, give us a couple of yours. Yeah, well, my two. Um, the, the the first is the Last Starfighter by Craig Safin. It has uh, kind of that heartfelt space opera going for it, and to this day, the the themes don't get old. Um, they still yeah. pack pack the same kind of punch. Agreed. And uh, my my other one, which just snuck in at the end of the decade, was Glory by James Warner. Mm, good call. Good call. Anyone have either of those two on your list? Uh, Glory was somewhere on mine. Yeah. Yeah, and Last Starfighter not. I don't think I've even heard that one, sadly. Oh, really? Glory yeah. is uh, seven on my list, and Last Starfighter was twelve. Okay, now Last Starfighter is not readily available, as far as I uh, as I understand. Is that right, Tom? I think it might be on I- iTunes or something like that. Uh, I'm not sure if the physical CD could be tracked down if people are so- such into that nostalgia still. Um, what is but, that but, a CD you said? <laughs> I, I think uh, I, I think the beauty of it it came out you know right after Star Wars peaked, uh, but but yeah. Craig did not create a clone; it, it right. had its own identity, and that's what was cool, and that's what helped the movie along. I thought. Oh, for sure, it's a, that is a wonderful score. I, I agree for sure. It's not on my list only because I forgot about it, <laughs> but it's but it should be on my list. So good call on that one. Um, I don't think I've gone. Did I go? I haven't gone yet. Let me give a couple. Um, and I'm going to lump some together because they're so obvious, but I have to say them because they're so pivotal. Um, Empire Strikes Back, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and E.T. 
and of course all three John Williams. Um, they were all they're still there are three that I listen to to this very day and would put at the top of John Williams's all time list even, and they were all in the eighties. And so I just give those three. I mean, I could we could talk about we could talk about those at nauseum uh, each one, um, but just for the sake of argument, did. Did everyone have that on their list, or or did some not have any of those three on their list? They were definitely on mine. I didn't write them only because I knew someone else would say them, but yes, they're <laughs> on the list. Uh, Empire was number nine, and E.T. was number ten on my list, so they're in the top ten. Raiders, Raiders is 21. Wow. Yeah. How is that even... It just got squished down by, you know, I kept finding things. It's really hard to order these things. Yes, it is. I know, I won't hold you to that. Um, Tom? Yeah, I mean, those those scores are uh, almost like givens. Um, yeah. That just, just shapes the imagination, especially, uh, you know, here in the Imperial March, the Ark of the Covenant theme. I mean, that's the stuff that just, uh, that, that's where the love for this, for this craft is built, I think, uh, with me. Or those kind mm. of moments, and those are moments I get today, uh, by the way, either, uh, and that's what I'm hoping comes back somehow. Yeah, someday, someday. Uh, let me read a couple tweets before I forget. Um, a lot of people tweeted in, so I don't want to miss uh, sharing a few of those. Um, Stingray underscore travel. Actually, they had brought up the last Starfighter as well. Uh, they also talk about. Um, the most un- what they called the most underrated score of the 80s was Trevor Jones's score for the Dark Crystal. And now I know a lot of you here on this on the discussion today really love Trevor Jones and, and love that score. Did that make your list? Anyone's list? The Dark Crystal. Actually, it's definitely you know, sort of the back of my mind. Yeah. Dark Crystal was 47. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my so list. organized. I love it's this Helen. You got numbers for everything. It's good. <laughs> Uh, now I think Mary and Tom too. You both are Trevor Jones fans, right? Did that make make it anywhere on your list? I'm a huge Trevor Jones fan, but that's actually never. I, I've never really liked that score of his very much. I don't know why. It hasn't. I've just. I've never been able to really enjoy it. Hmm. So it didn't make my list. I was aware of it. I, I went over it. I thought, oh, okay, yeah, sure, but not. Just Not for didn't me. Do it for you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Same here. Same. Here. I think just I think that there's a certain sourness to it, for mm. whatever reason. Um, I actually got more out of Excalibur, even though I know he's a lot of source material. Sure. Uh, but but not so much with with Dark Crystal. Didn't okay. didn't make the list. Okay. Um, at Torin Legend says anything from Tangerine Dream. Now I struggle. I, I didn't do the research, but I struggled to think. I can't think of any film. That they scored, although of course they scored, they did quite a few in the eighties. But it was I Legend. Legend is the only one that comes to mind. Ah, yes. Business. Okay. That that stupid half-half hybrid thing where some people got, <laughs> you know, one score, some people got the other. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You said Risky Business as well. I didn't know they did Risky Business. Why didn't I not know that? Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Risky Business. Um, at Living Story. Brings up Out of Africa, of course, E.T., Aliens, Cinema Paradiso. Of course, that's very well known um, and loved and respected. Did that make anyone list, anyone's list, Cinema Paradiso? I've got that one, yes. Yeah, okay. Didn't make mine, um, but obviously a, a very memorable theme. Um, 
Anyone got the Back to the Future trilogy anywhere on there? High up on their list. Have the yeah. first one in there, yeah. Yeah, okay. Number Ellen, six on mine. Numbers? Yes, number six on mine. Which one? The first Back one? to the Future, the first one, yeah. You've got Back to the Future at six and Raiders of the Lost Ark at 21? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. I, I listen to Back to the Future a lot, and I don't even own Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, so. my Oh my! Yeah, you don't own. Never have never owned that score. I have it well, that, on uh, LP, but I don't. I never transferred it over, so you know I don't listen to it. Uh, yeah, well, there's the record. problem. <laughs> there's the problem. You haven't listened to it since ni- the 1980s. Clearly, <laughs> <laughs> I would recommend you dusting that one off and giving giving her giving her a spin. Who's this from? Uh, Stingray again. Stingray underscore travel. Um, Beverly Hills Cop one and two. Fletch. Top Gun, The Running Man. Uh, I have Top Gun on my list only because Harold Faltermeyer, that was his decade, really, the 80s. Um, And, I mean, Top Gun was like, I was a senior in high school when that came out. And it was, it was, it was, it was such a cultural, uh, iconic movie and music. I mean, I guess you have to give half the credit to Kenny Loggins as well, but... um, it was such an important movie in that year. <laughs> I don't know what, how else to say it. So it had to make it had to make my list. The score did. Anyone else have anything else from Harold Faltermeyer? Beverly Hills Cop is number five for me. Number five yes. and Raiders of the All Star is twenty one. <laughs> I just can't. I just can't. I can't. It's I it's can't a personal it, favorite. Love it. Love it. <laughs> Whatever happened to Harold Faltermeyer? He's doing video games now, isn't he? Is he really? I thought a couple of years ago he did something. He did, uh, um, what was it, Cop Out? What did they call it? Uh, Cop Out, the, yeah. He did Cop Out by the... Kevin Smith. Yeah. Oh, by Kevin Smith. Yes, Bruce Willis. And... <laughs> well, there is a big mistake right there. With who? Who was in it? Uh, Bruce Willis and I think Tracy Morgan. That's right. Oh, it's a... It's a, like a buddy, a buddy, cop, yeah. buddy cop, cop buddy movie. It wasn't a very good movie. It wasn't a very good score. So did he do his Harold Faltermeyer thing? I mean, he just did what he's always done? Kind of. Not really. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I, I liked what he did yeah, in the okay. 80s. And it didn't sound like any, anything he did in the 80s to me. It didn't sound like Fletch or Running Man or Top did, Gun or nothing. It wasn't just that synthy. Kind it of. was synthy, but it had no real melody to it, you know. And he's usually very good with melody. Hmm. Yeah, there there was no point to the joke uh, with that homage score. So I don't know what Kevin Smith, you know, what what he was smoking at that time. But there was just no, there's no 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 aim for it. There's no, there's no reason to usher that nostalgia back in for a movie like that. Okay. Well, let me play this. Uh... This voicemail from uh, Kurt Maxwell, who lists his favorites. Hello, this is at Kurt Maxwell on Twitter, and my favorite scores of the 80s are the following. Back to the Future, Blade Runner, Indiana Jones 1, 2, and 3, E.T., Batman, and The Goonies. Well, there you have it. Those are my favorite scores of the 80s. Enjoy. Anyone else have Batman on their list? Number Actually, did have for me. Yeah, I had Batman on there. Yeah, yeah. Batman. That's a good score. You said number three, Helen. Yes. 
Okay. Tom? Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely up there. Uh, okay. One of Elfman's finest hours. Didn't make my list. I was never a fan of Batman. I don't know why. Never was. Okay, well, let's get a couple more before we move into our overrated and so we can wrap this baby up. Uh, let me give you a couple more of mine. The Karate Kid, Bill Conti, under, underrated, underappreciated. I love that score. has some iconic moments in it. I think it's, it represents the 80s very well. Um, and uh, The Little Mermaid. It was, the, it was kind of a turning point for Disney and the whole bringing animation back with Alan Menken and Howard Ashman combining to, to do something that was very, very memorable. Um, either of those come up for anyone? No. Little Mermaid was number 24. Number 24, just yeah. below Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's right. <laughs> um, so, Karate Kid, anybody? No Karate Kid. No, no sorry. Wow. Okay. Amarius, what do you have? It's a Ralph Macchio effect. People may not want to listen to the score and think of him. Maybe, Tom, maybe. But I love Bill Conti more than I dislike Ralph Macchio. That's all I can say. That's all I can say. Marius, give us a couple more of yours. Uh, all righty. Can, um, can I do a TV miniseries one? Um, not really. I mean, we'll take oh, it. In. You can mention it, but give us a couple film ones too. All right, I'll give you the film ones. Um, Castle in the Sky. Um, Joe Hisaishi. Castle in the Sky. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, I was trying to think of a movie called that. Like, oh, anime. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, the Secret of Nim, Jerry Goldsmith. Hmm. Interesting. In your top top list. Well, my list is twenty five long, so it's okay. It's not near okay. the top of the list, but it's definitely in there. If okay. only because Jerry Goldsmith, uh, I remember he expressed um, that it was one of the the favorite scores that he's ever done, hmm. and to me that means that you know it's it's obviously something worth valuing. If if it meant that much to him, it must be a a musical reflection of of him that might be more honest and transparent than some of the other things we've heard. Yeah, interesting. So and, worth remembering. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The. Neither of those are on my list. What was just out of interest? What was the TV one? Masada. Yeah, that's also what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. Was that yeah. a made-for-TV movie? It wasn't. It was a miniseries of some sort. I don't even remember what the exact format was, but it wasn't a film per se. It was just it was a okay. multi-part thing. Yeah. Um, but I I put it in there especially because um, it's it's clearly the inspiration for a lot of what he did later on for the Mummy. And yeah. uh, it's it's really just a terrific score. Very, very melodic. Very beautiful. Um, the exotic elements are... Um, well, I mean, it, it does sound very Western, but it's nice to... Uh, it's nice to hear Jerry do that kind of thing. So... Yeah. Okay. Even if it doesn't count, it's it's worth it if you haven't heard it. It's worth... Sure. Definitely worth noting. I, for some reason, I just assumed that was a, a feature film. Um, Doug, a couple more? Uh... Sh- Sure, I'm run down a few off the list here. Uh, Under Fire, Goldsmith. Oh yeah. Um, a couple of Williams ones that I, I just specifically chose away from the the big big yep. names, but uh, Empire of the Sun and Witches of Eastwick. I've always liked both of those. Hmm. Yes, um, I'm not the only one who likes <laughs> Witches of Eastwick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fantastic! Yeah, and you get to hear Williams whistle his own theme in the picture, so that's great. 
he's, he's the, the, I don't know, the ADR for Jack Nicholson's whistling is John Williams' really? whistling on tune. Yeah, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. I did not know that. Uh, Black Cauldron, Elmer Bernstein. Okay, um, yeah. Poltergeist, Goldsmith. Yeah. Uh, Fly and Dead Ringers, for sure. Um, Dead Ringers. I don't remember Dead Ringers. Uh, it's a Cronenberg picture. Uh, Jeremy Irons is playing twins. Oh, now I remember it. Yep. Okay. Um, Silverado, Bruce Broughton. Oh, yeah. Was that 80s? I thought it was 90s. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's 80s. Okay. 85. Uh, there you go. And uh, as, a, as a wonderful breakout score that I still find humorous from the utter insanity of it, I still love Pee Wee's Big Adventure. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> such an insane piece of writing there's so that many true. strange things in there that is true Tom, give us a few more of yours okay, well I'll go a little bit of Hoosiers with uh, Goldsmith mm-hmm. Okay. Henry V, Patrick Doyle and I'm going to drop in a little Cherry 2000 uh, by Basil Doris. is that like what number two on your list Helen? <laughs> Eleven. After E.T. 11. Oh, it did make the list. That's, that's good. Yes, that's good. it's between E.T. and the Last Starfighter. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Pretty good. Pretty good. And lastly, I'd like to give some props actually to the Terminator theme. Um, I mean, that thing has stuck yeah. through the test of time. Um, True. Not something we're all going to crank up. You know, put the windows down and you know listen to some Terminator. But the the theme speaks for itself, and it's still alive and being listened to today. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Well, since you guys listed more, I'm going to give a couple more of mine, too. I won't, and I'll go quick. Um, I put an American Tale on there, James Horner. Um, I thought that was one of one of his best works. Doesn't get a lot of attention. Uh, Alan, uh, Alan Silvestri's Predator, um, something, something Wicked This Way Comes, James Horner. Um, wonderful score. Star Trek II, maybe, maybe. Well, that's high up on my all-time list of of, of Horners, um, and Tron by Wendy Carlos needs to be needs to be injected in there because there was nothing else really like it that I can recall from that from that era. Okay, well, this is the fun part. We can pick one or two uh, scores that from that decade that we feel are overrated. I'm going to go first and just give you one because no one's mentioned it yet. And so I think it's going to be on all of our overrated lists. And that is Vangelis's Chariots of Fire. <laughs> so over, just it's just been used too much. It's now kind of a parody of itself. And, you know, obviously, it, I think it, it won the best score, if I'm not mistaken, for early 80s. I forget what, what year exactly. I think but, it beat Empire Strikes Back, didn't it? Beat that and a couple of other good nominees that year. I think you're right. And that's probably what poisoned me as a youngster. (laughs) Um, It won over Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh my god. Well, that doesn't bother you at all, Helen, I know. But me, that's that's a big freaking deal. (laughs) So that means it was 81. Must have been 81. 81. 81. That's right. Anyone else have Chariots of Fire on their overrated list? Yeah, I, I yeah, agree with you. I yeah. mean, oh, I was going to say uh, Raiders made my top, you know, 25. Um, Chariots didn't make my top 50. So. Okay. All right. Mary, she said it was on your list. Yeah, it was on my list. I actually really like it. It's just, um, like you said, it's it's become a parody of itself at this point. There's just been so much attention given to it that it's like, okay, 
I'm I'm now sick of it, even without wanting to be. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really the truth. Um, Which is sad. I mean, it, and, and that yeah. that speaks to how progressive it was. Yeah, that's true. Um, give us another one, Marius. Overrated. Overrated. Um, it's actually the other one that I've got um, is a John Williams one. It's Empire of the Sun. Um, Ooh. I've yeah, it's, I picked it's, that one. It's one of those scores that uh, that I just for some reason has not resonated with me, and I don't. I can't exactly put my finger on why. Um, but hmm. for some reason, the things he's doing in that score, I just, I, I think he's done better elsewhere, or they just aren't grabbing my attention. I, I don't know. Hmm. So that was that was the other one on my list. Um, Helen, give us an overrated. Last time we talked, I also mentioned uh, Last Emperor by Ryuichi Sakamoto. Yeah, good, who, good call. which won the best score yeah. over Empire of the Sun. <laughs> <laughs> so you weren't heartbroken over yeah. that then. <laughs> yeah, I've never I've never connected to that movie nor the score. Um so I would agree with you. Uh, I would say that's a tad bit overrated. Um Tom, overrated. Well, I'm sorry to say I think uh Dragon Slayer uh overrated by some and I would also Who was put that by? Alex North. He of uh, Spartacus score. fame. Yeah, I know. I don't remember Dragon Slayer. Uh, is it yeah. overrated? <laughs> well, that's I, why it's kind of a question mark. I do recall in some exchanges people are praising it, um, but that just kind of stuck stuck with me for some. It got reason. nominated in 1981 along with Raiders of the Lost Ark, Lost to Chariots mm, yeah. of Fire. <laughs> mm-hmm. That that overrated Chariots of Fire, yeah. <laughs> okay, so Dragon Slayer. Did you say something else? Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I think the Road Warrior. Um, a little overrated. Like the uh, beginning and closing stanzas of the score, but everything in between was kind of a hardcore mashup of apocalyptic mm. uh, visions. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, well, the other two that I have on my list will not be popular, but I will say them. Um, Conan the Barbarian, I've never fully connected to i mean i i appreciate what it is but i have never thought it is as great as so many do i don't know why that is but i just i just think it's an okay score and i don't that's i can't explain that but i do have it on my overrated list and rain man i have on my overrated list um in terms of what zimmer's done it that never's done all that much for me um good well this has been fun and we will we will hit the 90s and the whatever the zeros and the 10s eventually um we'll mix mix these up throughout you know the coming weeks um and uh, 90s is going to be tough too i'm not i'm looking forward to it and i'm not looking forward to it because it's going to be i think it's gonna be tough but after that i think it's going to get a lot easier <laughs> between <laughs> the turn of the century the next 20 years is is or 10 years is going to be um, an, an easier job for those of you listening uh, we'd love to hear your feedback what were your favorites from the 80s um, uh, obviously we've given you a lot to think about and talk about where you agree disagree we'd love to hear hear from you on it of course to um, um, to do that you can contact uh, us at scoreman at tracksounds.com uh, you can hit us up on twitter at tracksounds or go to our facebook page as well uh, you can leave a voicemail if you go to the Soundcast page. You can see a Google Voice uh, button there. You can click it, leave us a voicemail message, tell us off, tell us what you think. 
So that's going to do it for this episode. Um, Doug, do you have something coming up that you like to talk about, uh, share, or anything in the works? Uh, we got a few things in the works, but nothing that we're really able to make public yet. So we'll, you know, make announcements within the next couple of weeks, I believe. Okay. All right. Very good. Um, of course you can, f- can follow you on Twitter at, uh, is it at Doug L-O-T-R music? Is that right? Or Doug L-O-T-R? Doug, Doug Adams L-O-T-R, I think. Doug Adams. Okay. Follow him at Doug Adams L-O-T-R. Of course you can follow Marius at Mathazar, one T double Z. Um, and the Honorable at Helen San uh, on Twitter. And Tom, do you even use Twitter anymore? I haven't seen a tweet from you in like two months. Uh, occasionally. Occasionally at Score Notes, of course. Or you can visit his his uh, wonderful site, scorenotes.com as well. Um, so that's going to do it for episode 37 of the Soundcast. We want to thank you all for listening. And until we are talking about film music together again we want to ask you all to stay tuned i want my money back i want my money back i want my money back just enjoy the show i want my money back i want my money back i want my money back just enjoy the show